John chapter 18. I'd like us to beginning, begin reading with verse number 4. And again, if you would mind, stand. I'm not going to read, but just uh, through verse 11. But the scripture we're, we're covering goes through verse 24. But uh, beginning with John chapter 18, verse number 4. Then Jesus, knowing what would happen to him, came forward and said to them, this is the arresting party, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Thank you. You may be seated. We have previously addressed the fact that Jesus knew what he was walking into on the night of his arrest. All the Gospels record that Jesus knew everything. He never tried at all to get away. But he obediently pursued the will of the Father. Why? Because he was the Lamb of God, the true and only acceptable sacrifice for sins. So he also then was that seed of the woman ordained by God from of old there, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, to crush the head of the serpent. This was his battleground. His death was not just a circumstantial consequence of his being rejected by the Jewish authorities who were hostile to him, nor was it an unforeseen incident. In fact, the truth of the matter, it was a mystery hidden in the eternal counsel of God. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They did not understand. What is it that, that they didn't understand? Or why is it that they did not understand? It's because in his obedience and death, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he disarmed them. <laughs> he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. Peter also addressed God's eternal Foreordination of Christ's suffering, his redeeming sacrifice in his first letter there when uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 to 20, 
and I'm just going to read a portion of that. He, that is Jesus, and his work of obedience was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Then again, in his sermon at Pentecost, Peter said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And it's not just something God foresaw, but but, but what God planned in eternity past. He said, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So that Paul could rejoice there in 1 Corinthians 15.55. Death is swallowed up in victory. Satan wants to kill everything. Life is of God. Death is the consequence of sin. Satan wants to rule everything, so he wants everything to die. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross by conquering death, and he rose again on the third day victoriously to prove that he was now the victor. Death is swallowed up in victory. So now in the text before us, we wish to examine the arrest, the examination, and the defense of Jesus before these Jewish authorities. Here we, again, a great lesson. We we find as we suffer for Christ in this godless age, like Christ, God is using our sufferings to assert His victory over His enemies. Thus we read there in Romans chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God, and then he says, and here's why, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet. That's interesting, because that's Paul's using that same analogy. Jesus crushed Satan's head under his heel on the cross. And now as it's playing playing out, as Satan has been defeated, God wants to use his people to further crush his head. You'll soon crush Satan under your feet. So the first thing I want you to see here is the arrest of the king. When the soldiers and the temple guard, remember it's cohort, the cohort. We, the cohort could be as many as six hundred men. I, I, you know, in studying that further, I'm finding that it, that a cohort may have consisted of less than that, but but they were part of this cohort of Roman soldiers and temple guard led by Judas. They approached Jesus in the garden intent on arresting him. Jesus did not attempt to escape them. Instead, the scripture tells us right there in in John 18, 4, he came forward. He deliberately stepped in, stepped up, and asked them, whom do you seek? In this initial contact, Jesus revealed his true identity to them. They're not going to take Jesus without knowing who it is they're taking. 
They have some conception of who it is, but Jesus is going to make sure that they understand who it is. And so he revealed that true identity. I am. Just not he, I am. And in that, he, we have here a clear reference which identifies Christ with Yahweh of the Old Testament, Exodus 3, verse 14. I am that I am. John records 23 I am statements of Jesus in his gospel. And those here in chapter 18, which is verses 5, 6, and 8, three times he said, I am he, I am, I am, I am. That's the last ones in his gospel. It's grammatically correct to add he, I am he. But what we read here is the response of the crowd, which tells us what really what he's saying and showing the supernatural impact of that statement. The whole crowd drew back and fell to the ground. That is how men respond when they're in the presence of God. That is universally the case in Scripture. They drew back and fell to the ground. We read a similar experience documented concerning Paul and his companions when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. We read, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we, and when we had all fallen to the ground... I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. That's Acts 26, 13 and 14. This is also how the 24 elders respond to the Lord in the Revelation. Revelation 5, verses 8 and 14 and chapter 19, verse 4. When they're before the Lamb, they fall to the ground. F.B. Meyer, the commentator, biblical, written a number of commentaries, said this, this occurring before his surrender would show his power over his enemies and also the freedom with which he gave himself up. Peter whipped out that sword there and was going to do battle there and Jesus said, stop, put it up. We'll see that in a second here. What did Jesus say following that? Do, do you not know that I could presently ask my father and he would send legions of angels to do battle for me? No, he was uh, the son of God. None of those present could deny that someone with supernatural power and authority was standing right there before them. Yet, driven by Satan himself and due to the hardness of their own sinful hearts, they recovered and continued to pursue their objective, the arrest of the Son of God. Jesus asked them again, Whom do you seek? And I believe in that he was giving them opportunity to escape from the guilt of the deed which they were now 
able in some measure to understand. Who was this man they were coming to arrest? Not an ordinary criminal. And this is seen also in his response to them there uh, that Luke records there in chapter 22, verses 52 and 53. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? I was with you day after day in the temple. In other words, what he was telling them is, I'm a legitimate rabbi. Your rabbis do this all the time. I was doing what they do. I'm, I'm, I'm fully legitimate in this area. And, I, and when I did this, you didn't lay your hand on me. But, and here's the, here's the key, this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is what they wanted. They hated Jesus. So they're under the control of the prince of darkness himself. And, re, and as I pointed out, remember here, the crowd consisted of a cohort of soldiers and a detail of temple guards and Pharisees. So there were at least a hundred men there. Secondly here, John simply uh, notes Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with them. I don't think he just incidentally put that in there. I think he wants us to see that. I think he'd already kissed him. Uh, John doesn't record that. The other Gospels do. Do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? But now John records that when they moved forward here to arrest him, and he steps up and asks them, who who are you? He, he makes this statement. John, who betrayed them, was standing with them. And it might be just speculation on my part, but I've, I'm really thinking here that this could be the revelation of who Jesus is that suddenly jarred Judas himself to begin rethinking and regretting his decision to betray Jesus. Matthew records that in the morning and upon hearing that Jesus was condemned by the chief priests and the elders, he hastened here to the priests at the temple to return the money with these words, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And in this acknowledgement, however, there is no true confession or repentance but only fear of what might befall him for his deed. And this is evident by the fact that he also proceeded to hang himself. Thirdly, we see Peter, how Peter reacted. Peter reacted by drawing the sword and cutting off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And again, there's no details given here, but rather uh, Jesus' command that he put away his sword. Peter's actions here disclose, however, an interesting point. What did Peter think was going on here? Why did he draw the sword? He possessed this erroneous idea of the kingdom of God. And thus he sought to defend his Lord physically because he didn't understand that Jesus' death was a necessary preparation for the kingdom of God to come on the earth. 
That had to take place first. Luke provides a little more detail. When those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the, high, the, the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That's Peter. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Matthew adds, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? How then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? In other words, I'm not going to do that because the scripture has to be fulfilled first. That's Matthew 26, 53 and 54. So the question here, this was the Lord's forthright no to the political and militant messianism of the Jewish expectation. Here's where we see the, the contrast. What the Jews thought of Messiah and his kingdom and what God was actually doing with his Messiah and his kingdom. They had this political and militant messianism, which is evident in the fact that Peter rips out his sword and starts swinging it. Not a very good sword wielder because he only just cut off the guy's ear. But had Peter a true spiritual understanding of the Old Testament, he would have accepted these events as the will of the Father. And it's at this point now that the disciples desert him. And this is important. John accounts only that Jesus asked the arresting party to let them go. Please let these men go. Matthew, however, reports in 26.56 that all the disciples left him and fled. And the idea here is, we're getting out of here. <laughs> we don't have me anywhere near here. Mark adds another interesting detail. A young man followed him with nothing but a, a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Mark 14, 15, and 51, and 52. So the question here is, was there fleeing a cowardly reaction to a sudden realization that there would be no response from heaven to prevent this injustice and to defend the kingdom? That the disciples remained at all unharmed was due to Jesus protecting his own as he stated in his high priestly prayer, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. John 17, verse 12. Sometimes our failures are allowed of God to protect us from the greater consequences of our folly. When acting outside the proper understanding of God's will and purpose. Boy, we do that a lot. Has anyone thought about the fact that there was no reprisal 
from the arresting party against Peter? We're not, we're not told anything about anybody trying to arrest uh, Peter, you're under arrest. No. Jesus healed him, but was that sufficient? I think not. And no, there was no attempt to retaliate against Peter for cutting it off. Why? Well, we just read that. Jesus was protecting his own as he promised he would. Now, my second point here is now is Jesus before the council. And I think this is very important to understand too. John here, again, introduces something that's unique to his gospel. After Jesus was bound, they led him away. And John tells us he was first taken to, the high, to Annas, the high priest. Well, the problem here is officially Caiaphas was the high priest. That's his son-in-law. However, according to the Old Testament, the high priest kept his office until his death. Why then was Annas not high priest if he was the first high priest? Well, here's the reason. Because the Romans had taken control. And the Romans, one of the things about the Romans, they believed in provincial government. They learned that from the Greeks. They learned the best way to control your enemy is to allow him to govern himself in, to a limited extent. So the Romans did this. And since the high priest literally was the one who we would call the prime minister or the president of a, of a country, of the country of Judah. And he sat as the chief officer of the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders of the Jews who governed the nation. So that's the Congress, <laughs> the president and the Congress. Annas was high priest and began his high priestly reign in 6 AD, AD 6. And he served until he was deposed by Valerius Gratus, who was Pilate's predecessor in AD 15. That office was then given to his son-in-law Caiaphas from AD 18 to AD 36. And he's the one who prophesied back in John 18 verse 4 that one should die for the people. Even then, Annas, the patriarch, exerted considerable influence and thus it's reasonable that Jesus should be first brought to Annas. The narrative of John here kind of mixes the Peter's three denials between appearances before Annas and Caiaphas. The, the uh, synoptic gospels include it all together in one. However, the synoptic gospels deal with these three, as I said, in, in one setting. There is no contradiction here in the text. Just the amount of, con of content in each presentation. But if you'll, if you, if you'll notice in uh, John 18, it said... Uh, 
Jesus faced Annas and Caiaphas. That's verses 12 through 14. And then we have Peter's denial in verses 15 through uh, through 18. And then beginning in verse 19, we have the high priest again questioning Jesus, but this time it's at Caiaphas' residence. Oh no, excuse me, that's still Annas. And down to, to verse 24 where we read, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. But notice how chapter 19 starts. The high priest then questioned Jesus. Said, well that was Caiaphas. No, it wasn't. Because verse 24 says, Annas sent him then bound to Caiaphas. And then we have Peter denying Jesus again in verses 25 and 26 and 27 when the rooster crowed. And then Jesus goes before Pilate. We'll take that up next week. So here's, here's this mixing. Mixing of these. Mark states simply, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Mark 14, 15, 53 and 54. So the, so the Sanhedrin's also involved. It's not just the high priest, it's the Sanhedrin that's involved, which was the political authority of the Jewish nation. That Jesus was subjected then to scorn and humiliation when they came before this group. They mocked him and they beat him, blindfolded him and asked him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him, according to Luke 22, 64 and 65. They brought false accusations. And here's the point. They brought false accusations and false witnesses against him. They charged him falsely with plotting to destroy the temple. Remember back in John, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll build it again. Now he didn't say he, didn't say he would destroy it. It said, you destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And, but he was referring to his own body. But now they heard, some of them heard that and said, oh, we remember he's going to destroy the temple. Sounds a little bit kind of like what's going on in our political circles today, too. Ah, false accusations. But and during this time, Jesus gives not one answer. He does not defend himself at all. When it says he gave no answer, it means he didn't defend himself against their charges. So when they could find nothing substantial against him, they pressed him to confess if he were the Messiah. Well, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? To that, Jesus responded. He said, yes, I am. I am. And notice here in Mark 14, verse 62, he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of Notice the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. A clear reference to Daniel chapter 7. This confession of the truth caused the high priest to tear his garments and to exclaim, What further witnesses do we need? 
we, you have heard him, his blasphemy, what is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him and say, Prophesy! The guards received him with blow him with blows. That's verses sixty four and sixty five there of Mark fourteen. And then we read in Mark fifteen verse one, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests led a consulta- held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, the Sanhedrin, and they bound Jesus together and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So let's uh, make an application here to close the message. And here's this is I think is very important for you to understand this. The world is wicked and it is opposed to the truth. Satan directs the world in its fight against Christ and his kingdom. He's doing that today. The Jewish authorities of Christ's day were not simply mistaken in their interpretation of Old Testament Scripture. Their opposition to Christ was not merely a disagreement with Jesus. The Jews believed that they were Abraham's true children. Spiritual implication. Because they they were genetically related to Abraham. But that's not what they believed. They believed that they were spiritually the children of Abraham. And Jesus corrected them. In John chapter 8 verses 39 to 41. You are, if you were Abraham's children. Notice that. If you were Abraham's children. If and since you're not. But if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Oh, they have a different father. That's John 8. Verses 39 to 41. Then Jesus told the Jews that they were not Abraham's children. Abraham's true children, like Abraham, are children of faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be grounded uh, and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. In other words, it doesn't have anything to do with the physical self. It's not who your genetics are. Genetically, the Jews were Abraham's descendants, but they were not his spiritual offspring. The New Testament focuses on the spiritual kingdom, not a earthly kingdom. Not the disgraced messianic kingdom that the Jews expected. 
that would dominate the Gentiles with the sword. This was, and this I really also believe is the year of dispensationalism. It's trying to, to give Israel a place in the world again. Looking for a political and a physical kingdom of God on earth. Because the Jewish authorities to whom Jesus spoke were not Abraham's children. They were not Abraham's, uh, they, they were not God's children either. So he told them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Faith. They couldn't hear the word because they didn't have any faith to hear it. They need faith. So their true spiritual father then was none other than Satan himself. So he says that in verse 44. You are of your father the devil. And your, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. You're seeking to kill me. Satan does, wants that. He does not stand in the truth, neither do you. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So what did they do to, to accuse him? They had false witnesses. Hmm. So this portion of God's word, John 18 reveals a truth that is often overlooked and ignored by Christians. It is the political authorities that sought to remove Jesus because he contradicted their program. It's the same today. People of faith stand in opposition to the political authorities of our day. We, we, we are a danger to them. The spiritual conflict that rages in the world is political, not religious. Paul explains that the resurrected Christ now rules and must rule until he has subjected all his enemies under his feet. These enemies are political. When the end comes, Jesus will deliver the kingdom to the Father, but only after, quote, destroying every rule and every authority and every power. That's political. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Political systems. The kingdom of Satan cannot coexist with the kingdom of God. God wins in the end. But Satan's kingdom is not giving up, and not without a fierce fight. That's why true Christians are the enemies of the state. If we just lead good and honest and peaceable lives, if there were a legitimate political authority, that would work. That's Romans 13. Romans 13 tells us to obey legitimate, God-instituted political authority. But... If there is a satanic inspired political authority, 
you, I don't care how peacefully you try to exist. You're still the enemy of the state. Because you belong to Jesus. They hate Jesus and they hate you too. A, ca a casual reading of the book of Acts clearly shows us that it is the political authorities, both Jewish and Roman, that persecuted the church. And they still do it today. When Peter and the disciples were arrested by the Jewish authorities in order to stop preaching Jesus, Peter's response to them was, rulers of the people, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20. What is, what is, was true in Jesus' day is also true in our day. We must understand this and do what we can to advance the kingdom of God. We must not act foolishly, thinking that we can ignore the political and just focus on our Christian walk. That is why we must be diligent students of the word and prayer warriors before the throne. And then finally, we must not be ashamed of Jesus. We must seek for courage to stand strong, no matter how the culture treats us. We must engage the political enemies of Christ in the power of the Spirit, clothed with the armor of God, not with physical weapons, but with the truth of the Word of God. And if we're mocked and cursed as Jesus was, we're just doing what Jesus did or how they treated Jesus. Jesus made this very clear. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Father, thank you for the word. Thanks for the opportunity to consider it this morning. Lord, how appropriate these texts are to our own present situation. And I pray, God, that we will be strong and stand true and, and walk with you. Lord, we praise you for all you do in our lives to enable us. Give us hearing ears. Give us obedient faith, strong faith, sincere hearts. Strengthen our walk with you. Help us not get distracted. Lord, we want to glorify you in everything we do. And we praise you in Jesus' name.